Thank you for listening to this production from New Life Presbyterian Church. If you'd like to find out more, visit newlifepca.org. Open your Bibles, please, to Psalm 29, the 29th Psalm. When I was a, a kid, I remember waking up on Sunday mornings and I would listen very carefully for a specific sound. I would listen for footsteps. The footsteps of my mom and dad in the bedroom across the steps. Because if I heard those footsteps on Sunday morning, I knew we were going to church. They were up, they were getting ready, and it would be just a matter of a couple of moments before they are going to burst into my room and interrupt my peaceful slumber and call me to go to church. But there were those occasions on Sunday morning when I would listen for those footsteps and I wouldn't hear them. And I'd just look at the clock, 9.30, 9.45, 10 o'clock. The later it got, the more I became convinced, I think I'm home free. We are not going to church this morning. <laughs> and there was just this delight in thinking, ah, I can sleep in, uh, take it easy, and uh, not go to church. Well, some of you maybe kind of went through something like that even this morning. You know, you woke up and you just didn't want to come. It's been a long week, tired, worn out, kids were unruly, and uh, you just didn't want to come. Well, um, maybe it will help us to have an increased excitement and desire for coming to church and worship if we actually know what we're doing and why we're doing it here. Uh, And that's what we're going to do today. We're we're beginning a new series, actually, on the core values of our church, as you can see on the screen. We're going to take five Sundays to just talk about what we value as a church, what we seek to excel at, what we think is important. Uh, We did this about three years ago, actually. Some of you might have been here for that, but uh, I assure you I'm, I'm not preaching the same sermons. These are new and different sermons on each of these topics. But here's what we're going to do. Uh, today we're going to talk about, as I've said, worship, which we call adoration. We remember our core values by just remembering the first five letters of the alphabet. So A stands for adoration, which means worship. Next week we'll talk about belonging, which means community, friendship, the building of relationships. We'll talk about the biblical basis for that. On September 8th, we'll talk about compassion, that is our mercy ministries, the efforts we put forth here to reach out to our community with ministries like Kids Hope that you just heard about. So we'll talk about that on the 8th. On September 15th, we'll talk about discipleship, what it is to learn and grow in our knowledge of doctrine and our knowledge of how to follow Jesus, how to be better followers of our Savior. So that'll be September 15th. On September 22nd, Pastor Brian will be preaching. We'll skip that Sunday. And then September 29th, we'll talk about the last core value, which is evangelism, sharing the gospel. But I'm going to kind of park there for a little bit. We're going to take four Sundays and just talk about evangelism, looking at Acts 17, and uh, consider God's call upon us to be those willing to share the gospel uh, in our neighborhoods and workplaces. So that's, that's where we're headed over the next couple of months. But again, today we're beginning with topic of worship, and we're looking at this psalm, Psalm 29. So we're going to read this now. If you'd please stand for the reading of God's Word. Psalm 29, it says, Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. 
Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. The voice of the Lord is over the waters. The God of glory thunders. The Lord over many waters. The voice of the Lord is powerful. The voice of the Lord is full of majesty. The voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord breaks the cedars of Lebanon. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf and Syrian like a young wild ox. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. The voice of the Lord shakes the wilderness. The Lord shakes the wilderness of Kadesh. The voice of the Lord makes the deer give birth and strips the forest bare. And in his temple all cry, glory. The Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned as king forever. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. God, would you please open our eyes and our hearts to behold wonderful things in your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Well, as we consider this topic of uh, worship, we're going to think of this from three points of view. We're going to think of the purpose of worship first, and then we'll look at some principles of worship, and then we'll consider the practice of worship, how we practice worship here on Sunday mornings at, at New Life. So first of all, the purpose of worship. What is the purpose of coming to worship? Why are we here? Why did you come? Um, there might be a number of reasons why you decided to come this morning. There's a number of reasons why people go to worship. One is entertainment. Uh, for some people, going to church is an entertaining thing. They like to listen to a good sermon. They like to hear good music being played, and so they go primarily uh, to be amused, to kind of see a show. Uh, some people go to worship for the sake of friendship. They have all their friends at church. The church they attend is where the people um, that they most like to be with happen to be. So they go to hang out with their friends. Some people come out of tradition. It's just what they've always done. They were brought up this way. Mom and dad told them to go, and they've never gotten out of that habit. And so out of tradition, they come every Sunday. Some people come just to clear their conscience. And by that, I don't necessarily mean kind of coming to the gospel and uh, confessing sins. I mean, in some people's minds, they might think, you know, I've been bad this week, and so if I just go to church, you know, maybe God will be happy with me. I'll do this good thing to make up for the bad things that I've done. And some people come to church for that reason. Others come just for information. People like to learn They want to know new doctrine. They want to hear something new. And so they come to increase their knowledge of theology and Christianity. Now, none of these things is necessarily wrong in itself. But if these things or any of them becomes the primary purpose you come to worship, then you're missing the point. Because none of these is the real purpose of worship. And we get some instruction on what that is here in this psalm. In Psalm 29, this psalm is written by David. Um, We just got done spending 10 months examining the life of David in the book of 1 Samuel. That series has been concluded, but he is the author of this psalm. This is a nature psalm. It's describing aspects of nature. We'll talk more about that in a moment. But here David is beholding the world, created nature, and as he beholds God's creation, he is moved to worship. He is just overwhelmed with the majesty and greatness of God. So look in verse 1. He says, Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. O heavenly beings, it says there 
in the first phrase. Maybe your translation says, O mighty ones. That's a reference to the angels. What David is doing is saying, you know, the Lord is so great and mighty and holy and majestic that I've got to call on every living creature in the universe to worship him. I've got to call on the angels to join in worshiping him. You know, we sing a doxology at the end of every service here, and we say, praise ye above ye heavenly hosts. That's a call on the angels to worship God. So we say this every single Sunday, exactly what David is saying. Um, it's a strong declaration of the worthiness of God to be worshipped. But now go to verse 2, and we get um, some insight into what worship is. There's a, there's a way that, that poetry is written. Uh, there's a device. It's called parallelism, and it's used in Hebrew poetry. Parallelism is where you'll have two lines that are parallel to each other, and they say things a little differently, but they mean the same thing. And that's what's happening here in verse 2. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. These are two lines written a little differently, but saying the same thing. In other words, what David is saying is that to worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness is to ascribe to him the glory due his name. And that, friends, is the purpose of worship, to come into this place and to give God the glory that he deserves, to declare, to express his supreme and ultimate worthiness of your trust and the deepest devotion of your hearts. You come to remind yourself that God is the one who is the expression and the source of all the glory that you are seeking in your life. Because do you know that every one of you is after glory? You are all glory chasers. That's what it is to be made in the image of God. We are chasing after glory. We're looking for something in this world to satisfy our heart's desire for glory. That's just another way of saying that you're a worshiper. Everybody is a worshiper. It's not just Christians are worshipers or Muslims are worshipers and the, the irreligious secular atheist is not a worshiper. No, everybody is a worshiper by virtue of being made in God's image. We were created for relationship with God. We were created to walk with and fellowship with this source of all glory. And what happened is Adam and Eve sinned, rebelled against God, interrupting that fellowship that we used to have with God and so that has set us then on a course, all of us, to be constantly seeking glory in anything that we can find in this world. We are born worshipers. Dostoevsky, the great Russian writer, said this, So long as man remains free, he strives for nothing so incessantly and so painfully as to find someone to worship. Now it's interesting how he said not something to worship, but someone to worship. Anybody seen All About Eve? Classic movie from 1950. Watched this just recently. Um, this actually, I think, is a movie about worship. Uh, in the foreground there is uh, Betty Davis in the red. She plays an actress named Margot Channing. And behind her is Ann Baxter. And she plays a fan named Eve Harrington. 
And in the movie, you see Eve, the one in the background, uh, just becoming obsessed with Margot Channing, the woman in the foreground. Margot's very famous. Eve goes to every one of her shows, watches everything that she does, um, follows her wherever she goes, studies her every move. She ends up befriending her. She stands up when Margot Channing walks in the room. She fantasizes about what it would be like to be like Margot Channing. And she even says, I would do anything, anything to have what Margot Channing has. What Eve Harrington is, is a glory chaser. And she is seeing in Margot Channing a degree of glory that she is lusting after and longing for. She's a glory chaser seeking glory and fame. And friends, all of you are glory chasers too, and myself included. It might not be Margot Channing. It might not be an actress, but it might be money. It might be reputation. It might be good grades. It might be the perfect family. It might be sex. It might be pornography. But you're seeking glory in some source. So here is the purpose of worship. As we go back to verse 2 here, worship is ascribing to God the glory due his name. It's to find him glorious. The reason it's so important for you as a Christian to come to worship is because all throughout the week, all these other false sources of glory are calling for your attention constantly. You need to come here so that God by his spirit can take your heart off of the Margot Channings of the world and place your heart back on the only one who is fully worthy of your worship and glory. That's the purpose of worship. It's so that you can have a heart change so that you can get reacquainted with your creator and your redeemer. And you need it, friends. You need it because it's a hard world. And there are so many idols competing for the attention of your heart every single day throughout the week. And when you come here, you are coming into the presence of a glorious God. Now, you might be saying, yeah, I, I know that worship is important, but isn't worship something that we can do individually? particularly as a Christian. I I worship God all the time. I worship God throughout the week in my quiet time and at work, and that's true. There is a sense in which, for the Christian, all of life is worship. And Romans 12.1 says that. Present your bodies as living sacrifices as an acceptable act of worship, I think it says. But that's not the only kind of worship. There's also corporate worship. There's public worship where we gather together. And if you look at verse 9 in this psalm, look at the last line in verse 9. We see the context. David says that all in the temple are crying glory. And in his temple, all, all cry. This is a group of believers who are together in the temple. This is gathered corporate weekly worship, and they're finding in God the glory that they desire. So that's the worship that I'm talking about here today. Not private individual worship, but corporate public worship. So uh, let's consider... Now, the principles of worship. What are some of the principles of worship that we should consider? Well, let's look at verses 3 through 9 in the psalm. And notice the repetition of the phrase, the voice of the Lord. Over and over again, we hear about the voice of the Lord. It's over the waters. Um, It's powerful, full of majesty. It breaks the cedars. The cedar tree was a symbol of power in biblical times. He makes Lebanon to skip like a calf. The voice of the Lord flashes forth flames of fire. Uh, Verse 9, strips the the forests 
bear. Do you know what's being talked about here? This is a thunderstorm. That's what he's talking about. The, the thunder that he hears in the sky, uh, the lightning that, is like fl- that flashes forth flames of fire. Um, he is being overwhelmed with the power and majesty of a thunderstorm. Now, you have to admit, thunderstorms can be kind of scary and kind of overwhelming sometimes. I mean, if a really bad thunderstorm comes, you're, they, they interrupt your regularly scheduled programming to let you know. I mean, they'll stop your TV show, and the weatherman will come on and show you all these maps, and they'll have severe thunderstorm warning and severe thunderstorm watches, and you have all sorts of sounds that will come out of your TV and those little things in the corner of your screen to show you where the thunderstorm's going, and they'll tell you if it gets bad, you better find a place of shelter, you better flee, you better get to the basement. It might hail, it might damage your car, you might have lightning that will knock a branch off a tree to cave in your roof like happened to us. Mary and me last summer. I mean, thunderstorms can be an intimidating and scary thing. And what the psalmist is saying here is that when you hear thunder and you see lightning and you behold a thunderstorm, you're hearing the voice of God. That the power and majesty of God is being communicated to some degree through the storm. I mean, a thunderstorm can be an opportunity for you to worship. What does this have to do about public worship, though? Well, it's this. If this is the God that we're coming to worship every Sunday morning, the God who is portrayed in this psalm, this God who breaks down cedar trees and shakes the desert and strips the forest bare, if that's the God that we're coming to worship on Sunday mornings, I think it matters how we worship him. I think we ought to be thinking very carefully about what we do on Sunday mornings. I don't think that God is happy to just allow us to do just whatever comes to mind or just whatever happens to suit our particular preference or fancy. You know, there's a story in Exodus chapter 19. Moses and the people of Israel are gathered around Mount Sinai. And God comes down, descends onto Mount Sinai, and do you know what it says about God's presence? It says that he is surrounded by thunder and lightning. And then God says to Moses, he says, Moses, be careful about letting these people get too close to me. You must set limits for them. You must set certain boundaries for how they should approach me. We we shouldn't come flippantly before God. And there are certain principles that we should observe to make sure that our worship is acceptable to him. Hebrews says that. Make sure your worship is acceptable to him. That implies that there is unacceptable worship. So what are some principles we should consider? Well, I'm going to go through four things here. Number one, worship should be God-centered. Maybe that seems to go without saying, but it should be God-centered. Psalm 29, 11 verses, the Lord mentioned 18 times. This is a God-centered psalm. And what this means, friends, is that worship, Sunday morning worship, is not about you. It's not about you coming and getting all of your needs met. It's not about coming to worship to make sure that all of your standards of taste and preference are being met. So many people say, after worship, I've said it myself, I just didn't get anything out of that. I didn't get anything out of that sermon. I didn't get anything out of that service. Maybe a better question is, what did I give in that worship service? 
How did I ascribe to God the glory worthy of his name? That's a better question to ask. Now, it's a legitimate thing to want to get something out of worship. I'm not saying that that's a wrong thing. It's just not the most primary thing. Because God, because worship is not specifically about you. It's, it's about God. You know, we call this a worship service. Have you ever wondered that? Why do we call it a service? It's because somebody is being served, but it's not you. <laughs> it's God. We are serving God here. I mean, imagine if you went into a restaurant to eat dinner, and you walked in, and all the waiters and waitresses were all sitting at the tables. And you walked up to talk to them, and they said, could you please get me a menu and a glass of iced tea? I mean, wouldn't you think, wait a minute, something is backwards here. You're supposed to be serving me, not me serving you. And sometimes people come to worship, and they've got it backwards, thinking God is supposed to serve them rather than coming to focus on God, serve him, and ascribe to him glory. So worship should be God-centered. Worship should also be Christ-focused. It should be Christ-focused. Here's a stunning aspect about the gospel. All that I've said about God from here in Psalm 29 is true. God is mighty. God is powerful. We should come before him reverently and I think with some degree of caution. That's true. But at the same time, we have this declaration in the gospel that if you are a Christian, you can come into the presence of God with full confidence. And the only reason why is because of what Jesus Christ has done on the cross. Because he shed blood on the cross, he died, he offered himself up as a sacrifice for you, and he opened up the way for you to enter into the presence of God, not irreverently, but without the fear that God is going to strike you down or reject you. You don't have to worry about that, Christian. You can come with the confidence of the full assurance of faith, it says in Hebrews. Not the full assurance of how good you've been this past week, the full assurance of the faith that you have placed in what Jesus has done. That's what makes it possible for us to worship a God like the God that is described in Psalm 29. So how ridiculous is it that we would seek to come into the presence of God on Sunday mornings with no mention of what Jesus Christ has done? Friends, if you go to a worship service wherever it is, I hope it doesn't happen here. Maybe it has. I hope not. But if you go to a worship service, you might have been thoroughly entertained and thoroughly instructed. You might have been weeping through the whole service. But if you didn't hear anything about Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross, that service has no right to be called a Christian worship service. You might have been worshiping some notion of God. But you weren't worshiping Jesus. And if you're not worshiping Jesus, you're not worshiping the true God. I mean, Paul says that he desires to know nothing except Christ and him crucified. And so that needs to be repeatedly focused on in any worship service. A third principle, uh, worship should be spirit-led. The Holy Spirit should be present in a worship service. And the reason why is because, apart from the work of the Spirit, we can't do anything of any lasting value. We are dependent upon the Holy Spirit to do anything of lasting value. The Scripture says the Spirit is the one who convicts of sin. The Spirit is the one who gives comfort to the depressed. The Spirit is the one who causes people to be born again. The Spirit is the one who enlightens our mind to understand the Scriptures. 
So you can have the most powerful sermon and the greatest music played in a worship service, but if the Holy Spirit isn't present, nothing's really going to happen of any value. And that's why prayer should be a regular part of any worship service. Because through prayer, what we're doing is expressing our dependence upon God. We're calling God to be present. We're calling on His Spirit to be with us. Worship services with no prayer are basically worship services in which those coming to worship are saying, God, I think we can do this on our own. Thank you very much. But as we pray, we're expressing dependence. That's what prayer is, an expression of dependence. And worship services should be spirit-led. Last principle, worship services should be word-based. That is, everything that happens in worship should be in accordance with what is taught in Scripture. And so we have something in our tradition, it's called the regulative principle, and it just simply means that we believe that the only things that we should do in worship are those things that are commanded in Scripture. There are some who would say that we can do in worship anything that's not forbidden in Scripture. We say we should only be doing what is positively commended in Scripture. So that's important to us, to make sure that everything is in accordance with the Word. And so that's why we have this thing called a liturgy. And you got that in the order of worship when you came through the door. Uh, A liturgy is just simply a plan. It's just the structure of our worship service. It's just what we intend to do. And you might think, as you come here, you know, I don't know what this is. I've never seen this before. Well, every single worship service has a liturgy. Every church has a plan for what they're going to do on Sunday mornings. It's just some of them are written down and some of them aren't. Some of them are very complex. Some of them are multi-page liturgies. And some have very simple and stripped-down liturgies. We're kind of in the middle. Uh, But we think it's important to have before you a list of the elements of worship and what we plan to do on Sunday mornings. And what I want to do now is just take some time to show you how the things that we do here on Sunday morning are word-based, that they're according to Scripture. So let's consider lastly here the practice of worship, how we practice worship here. And I'm just going to go through briefly the various elements of our worship that you see on your order of worship. Uh, There are other things we do in worship from time to time. I'm just going to talk this morning about those elements that we do pretty much every Sunday um, to show you what we're intending and why we do these things. So the first thing that you note is a call to worship. Our services always begin with a call to worship. Now, psalms are constantly used as calls to worship. And our psalm here this morning, verses 1 and 2, are excellent calls to worship. It's God saying, ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. It's the voice of the Lord speaking to you. Here's the purpose of a call to worship. All throughout the week, friends, you are frantically going about your business, raising your families, and going to work and doing your studies diligently And those are all good things, and you're doing them to the best of your ability. But every Sunday, when the call to worship is read, it's like God is interrupting the busyness of your lives and calling your attention back to Him. It's God speaking and saying, hey, hello, everybody, eyes up here, eyes to God. God speaks through His Word. 
He initiates worship. He draws you to himself and wakes you up out of all the clutter that you have been dealing with all week long. That's what happens in a call to worship. And that's the reason why, friends, it's important to be here on time. (laughs) Because it's not a small thing if you miss the call to worship. Everything that we do here from call to worship to benediction is worship. It's not like just the music is worship or just the sermon is worship. It's all important. And so to be here for the call to worship is something uh, that you should seek to do. Uh, We also do a greeting. We used to do this monthly. We're doing this every week now. Uh, Philippians 4 says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. That's the scriptural basis for that. And the reason we do it is so that we can remind ourselves that we're not here as just isolated, detached individuals, but we're coming here as a community as a body, as a group of people who have been redeemed by our Savior and who need not only God, but we need each other. And we're not doing this to make visitors squirm. We're not doing this to make the reserved and shy people feel uncomfortable. That's not the purpose of a greeting. I know it can be uncomfortable. Sometimes you just don't want to say hello to others. But it's good for you to do that. It's good for you to shake hands with people and look them in the eye and be reminded that we are a body of Christ, not a bunch of isolated individuals. Well, we also sing, of course. We sing songs. Colossians 3 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. We should probably sing more psalms here. There, The Bible commands it. We, just, we don't do it uh, that that often. But the reason we sing is not only because the Bible commands it, but it's also because it's what our hearts need. You know, sometimes, have you ever found that when you're singing, you're thinking to yourself, why am I singing this? I don't really believe this right now. I don't believe that God is altogether lovely and beautiful like we're going to sing here in a moment. I don't really find him that lovely right now. So why am I singing this? Here's why you're singing it. You're not singing it because you happen to feel it at the moment. You're singing it in order to feel it. You're singing it because God uses music to implant knowledge and instruction in our hearts, to change our hearts. That's why we sing, tune our hearts to sing thy grace again, as the, uh, the hymn says. So that's why it's important that the songs we sing are um, carefully chosen and have content that are scriptural and gospel-centered. Well, we also do this thing called the Confession and Assurance. We do this every Sunday. Examples of that, Daniel 9, Ezra 10. not going to read those to you, but um, feel free to check into those. But every Sunday, as Josh so well leads us, uh, we take time to confess our sins. And that, you can look at it this way. It's our way of acknowledging before God that we are not better than anybody else. This is a way for us to humble ourselves. We're not better than the people who aren't coming to church. We're not better because we're here. We're not better than the person sitting down at the end of the row who we happen not to like for one reason or another. This is important for us to humble ourselves, to reflect on the ways in which we've fallen short of the glory of God. And we provide that silent time because those 45 seconds of silence might be the only time in your entire week when you have a time of silence, to be alone with your heart. And the confession is always then followed up by the assurance of pardon, the declaration that those trusting Christ 
can be assured their sins are forgiven, that the blood of Jesus is sufficient to make them righteous before God and to make them fully acceptable to their Father. So every Sunday we do this. It's kind of a rehearsal for what you ought to be doing all throughout the week. Sinning, confessing your sin, and then running and fleeing to the gospel and rejoicing in the grace that is there for you in Jesus. Well, we also have offerings um, every Sunday. That's commanded in the New Testament. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Um, giving of your resources is an important part of worship. It's not just for the church. To give of your money is for you. There's a sense in which it's for you. It's so that you have the opportunity to express your gratitude to God. It's so that you have the opportunity to express your faith in God because every time you put a check in the plate, you're saying, God, I am trusting you to provide for my financial needs. And I'm showing that by parting with this money right now. And it's, it's an act of worship. I know some churches are not having an offering because they don't want to make people uncomfortable. I just think they're robbing from people an opportunity to worship. And so we have an offering every Sunday. We pray every Sunday. Paul says, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, thanksgivings be made for all people. That's the pastoral prayer. Um, I've already talked a little bit about prayer Um, So let's go on to the next thing. We have uh, the presence of Scripture, both reading Scripture and preaching Scripture. 1 Timothy 4, Paul says, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture. uh, 2 Timothy 4, 2, Paul says, preach the Word. So we have a reading earlier in the service, and then we have another reading later on where the Word is preached. Now, we can do a whole sermon on the importance of preaching. Not going to do that. I think you know uh, faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. Uh, We believe that preaching is the way that sinners are brought to faith and the way that Christians are built up and sanctified in their faith. So we place a high priority on preaching. Well, then the last thing we do every Sunday is the benediction. And if you look at the very last verse in chapter, uh, in Psalm 29, verse 11, it's a kind of a benediction. May the Lord give strength to his people. May the Lord bless his people with peace. That's a benediction. It, it's, a, it's a good word. That's literally what that means. The benediction is a good word, and it's the final word that God gives to you and me, his way of pronouncing blessing upon you as he sends you into the world to live for him. You know, whenever you go to a store and you buy a product, you'll go to the cashier and they'll get your product and they'll put it in a bag and you pay for it and then they'll give it to you. And you know what they almost always say, almost every single time, they look at you and sometimes they wave. They lift their hands and they say, have a nice day. That's a kind of a benediction. They're sending you into the world now with the thing that you have just bought. It's their final word to you, and off you go. Well, when you come here on Sunday mornings in worship, and the pastor raises his hand and declares the benediction, he's sending you into the world with something that God has bought for you, something that he has purchased for you, your salvation, the power of the Holy Spirit, the assurance of his love and acceptance, the promise that as you go into the world, you're not going alone. God is going with you. And that's why we do a benediction. 
So th that's what we do. That's why, why we do these things. So just some quick practical applications in response to all this. How do we respond um, to what we've learned in worship? First of all, sleep. Not during the worship service, <laughs> but before. Saturday night, sleep. If you have trouble staying awake in a worship service, maybe it's because you're not getting enough sleep on Saturday night. Uh, you should plan for Sunday morning worship on Saturday night. Prepare. You're coming to meet the living God. You're preparing to meet a God whose voice breaks trees into half and strips forests bare. Uh, you want to be awake for that. So get sleep the night before. Uh, pray. Ask God to bless our worship services. Ask that the Spirit would be present. If you're one of these people who says, oh, I never get anything out of the worship service, let me ask you, have you ever prayed that you would get something out of the worship service? Maybe that would be a good prayer, not just for you, but for others, that everybody here would get something out of the worship service and that we would all be transformed into the likeness of Christ. Bring friends. Bring your glory-chasing friends. You're a glory chaser, and all your friends are too. And they need to know the glory of Jesus Christ. So bring them along. They're welcome here. What, what, whatever they're like and whatever they're into, and however they live and whatever they believe, they're welcome here. And then lastly, maybe for some of you, maybe not all of you, but maybe you need to just adjust expectations. Just You're not coming primarily to be with friends. You're not coming primarily to get information. You're not coming primarily because you've always done it. You're coming to worship to ascribe glory to God and to worship Him in the splendor of His holiness.